Our text this morning comes from Genesis and um, from the 15th chapter, verses 1 through 6. God makes a covenant with Abram. His name isn't Abraham yet. Abraham uh, becomes a, a, a name for him as he is proven to be faithful. And God changes his name. As um, God does, uh, and, you, know, you see Jesus changing people's names. Simon becomes Peter, the rock, and so forth and so on. And um, it's, names have meanings. I'm sure when you named your children, you thought of what the meaning would be like. My parents said, he's going to be thick as a rock. <laughs> Craig just means crag or crevice in a rock. It's not profound. <laughs> After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your reward. Um, your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no offspring, and so a slave born in my house is to be my heir. But the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. No one but your very own issue shall be your heir. He brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to count them. And then he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. Pray with me. God, we believe, help our unbelief. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> so, I was in a committee on ministry meeting in the Presbytery of San Fernando just a few years ago. And um, they asked me, so Craig, why are you reformed? I immediately had a snarky response in my head. Fortunately, I didn't say it. Um, and, uh, but I, I have to say that that was the only thing I had in my head. I sat there and went, I have no idea. I don't even know what you're asking me. And it's a question that has been asked of me for 50 years in terms of just preparing for ministry and all those things along the way. And at that particular moment, I drew a blank and I just sat there. And I said, well, um, it's a rather big question. But number one, I, I said something about scripture, sermon, and sacrament, but they didn't buy it. Um, and uh, finally... They looked at me and said, listen, we're thinking of things like maybe um, you are reformed because of our, our polity. Or you're reformed because of, of this or that or the next thing. I said, yeah, those are good things. I believe those. And then, um, and then they found out that I was not going to change presbyteries into their presbytery and become a member of it. They said, don't worry, no one will ask you. You don't have to be examined on the floor. They passed me on and moved me ahead. But um, I, uh, 
I never had to answer the question, and I've never had to answer that question since, at least not in an examination. One answer is something that the Westminster Confession of Faith asserts, that we are a covenant people. Often during the Lord's Prayer, or Lord's Supper, I will lift up the cup and lift up the bread, and at some point I'll say uh, that Jesus took the cup and said, this is the new covenant I make in my blood. And I almost always translate it and say, this is the new what? Promise. So a promise and a covenant are pretty similar. So you all, you, you all that live in neighborhoods that have CC&Rs, some of you have those. Is it conditions, covenants, and responsibilities, or whatever it is? Restrictions. Yeah, it has to be restrictions. It's nothing as kind as responsibilities. So um, it's just, it's, a, it's one of those, isn't it? Your CCNRs. I had a friend that would, um, their CCNR said that they couldn't stay, they couldn't leave their garage doors open during the day. And on Saturday, this was in Irvine, on Saturday, he would pull out his beach chairs and open his garage door and sit in the driveway. And they'd have, you know, they'd have the radio on or something listening to a baseball game. Um, and there's no more baseball in Southern California, by the way. I'm so sorry. Um, but, but uh, yeah, it was painful for some of you, huh? Um, but this idea of covenant, this idea of a promise... Um, when we do the Lord's Supper, we realize it's a profound and costly promise that Jesus makes. God's covenants are like that. They're, they're going to cost God everything to keep promises. Jesus will keep God's promises, God's covenants, even unto death. One of the first covenants in Scripture comes in Genesis, this passage. There's one that comes a little bit earlier than this passage. It's the one with Noah. So God makes a promise to Noah that he won't what? He'll never destroy the earth by a flood again. And so you have the Noah, what they call the Noahic covenant. This one is called the Abrahamic covenant. Um, and it is this, starts with a complaint. God, I'm old, and I don't have any heirs. You've kept me, you have kept me childless. And then God comes with a promise. Look up at the sky, look up at the stars, and count them if you're able to. And he said, so shall your offspring be. God will provide. God is the main character in the story of the Bible. In fact, God is the hero of the biblical story from beginning to end. I love Leslie Newbigin's uh, little book called uh, A Walk Through the Bible. If you've, not, if you've not picked it up, it's been reprinted. I, I, have, I have like people have typed up copies of it for me and I've got those. But it's a, it's a nice little book. It's only about 40 pages long. So it's very readable. And he basically tells the story of the Bible from beginning to end and talks about why it's so significant. And what he says is every good story has a hero. 
And in our story, it's God. And God's the one that will keep the promises. God is the one that looks at his people and says, I'll do this for you and follows through. It's no mistake that Jesus asks us to follow him because Jesus is keeping God's promises. And he's saying, listen, you need to do not just as I say, but as I do. You need to be people that keep your covenants, even unto death. I've um, spent a good part of my uh, professional career working with people who um, start new churches all over the country, all over the world. I've, I've um, coached individuals. I've consulted with groups of people. I've written uh, with other f- friends of mine. We've written um, how to start something new uh, in terms of new churches. I've I helped develop a process so people could evaluate whether or not they were um, uh, called into that work? Did they have the unique skills needed to be church planters or church initiators? And uh, some of those things are still in use. I helped develop a coaching program for people that were in um, a new church and helping them figure out how to keep going in that. And along the way in my work, one of the things that I do with people is I will find myself um, needing to encourage them. It is starting something new can be daunting, it can be discouraging, it can even be despairing. Um, One of the things that we found with people who are really gifted at starting new stuff is that they don't fit the the average um, uh, kind of uh, culture that the church has created. In fact, they challenge it. They don't like meetings. They don't like getting nothing done. And they won't be um, slowed by that. And they'll work even though um, somebody objects because they won't let the objection get in their way. But along the way then, it becomes quite lonely and even can be quite discouraging. I asked one of our candidates for ministry recently. His mother's a pastor in our presbytery. And in the early days of her ministry, some years ago, she um, helped start a new church in the Seattle area, just north of Seattle. And uh, Marion um, is, uh, is Korean. And, um, and her work ethic is really quite impressive. Um, and and uh, this young man grew up in that household with his mom being a pastor his whole life. And I, I looked at him and I said, so you've been watching your mom all these years. Are you afraid of what's to come? I mean, has, has watching her given you any sense that maybe this is fraught with problems and I shouldn't do it? And, he, and this is what he said. He said, you know, I, I have watched her. And what I've learned is that this work is not for the faint of heart. And I thought, wow, that was a great... He, he affirmed his mother and at the same time talked about the difficulty of it. He'd been paying attention. Ministry is not for the faint of heart. And that's not just for pastors. That's for all disciples. Following Jesus isn't for the faint of heart. Keeping promises 
keeping covenants is not for the faint of heart. It could cost us everything. I would often find myself telling these leaders that God did not bring you this far to abandon you. That God didn't bring you out into this wilderness work so God would walk away from you. How do I know that? Well, number one, I I believe Scripture affirms that. That God accompanies us in, in the good times and the bad times, when it rains and when it's sunny. I think the Scripture affirms to us that God walks alongside of us through the valley of the shadow of death and that we should have no fear. I believe that God, through the Spirit of Christ, dwells in us and will never leave us. There is nothing that can separate you and me. There's nothing that can separate this world from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Yeah, thanks be to God. And the other thing is, I've seen it. I've seen God accompany people through some of the worst things. I've actually experienced God accompanying me through some of the most difficult times of my life. I mean, there are times when I've, ex- I've not experienced it. There are times when I feel like, God, where are you in this thing? And, and that drove me to um, spiritual direction. And I talked to my spiritual director once a month, um, pay him handsomely, and wonder why he doesn't do it for free. But because um, so, I'm so engaging. And, um, but, but what he's helped me to do is to see God's accompaniment along the way. That God is there. And he helps me to see that. And to not get anxious when I don't. It doesn't always work. But sometimes, sometimes my anxiety gets diminished. God didn't bring you this far to abandon you. God didn't bring you into the desert to die. God keeps his promises. And for many of these people starting churches, they just need to get through the incredibly difficult moments in the beginning. On our end, it is this count. Count the stars that have gone before. There's that sense in which pay attention to those who have walked before us and have testimony, have a witness, have a word that says, I'll be with you. My second observation to leaders is this. You have everything you need to do what God is asking of you in the moment. In other words, God has not brought you to this place in your life, in your church, in your work, in your family, in your ministry, in whatever it is. God has not brought you here ill-equipped. You have what you need to be faithful right now.
What you need tomorrow, I have no idea. But right now in the moment, you have everything you need to be faithful to what God's asking you to do today. God has not brought you to this place. So equipped, one way God keeps promises is by providing for us. For Abram, it was a son, Isaac. It was not how Abram thought up fixing the problem. And I think it's really important for us to pay attention at this point. It doesn't say you're not supposed to think about things or plan things or work hard or do all that. All that's true. You should. We do. And for a lot of things in life, we're incredibly capable of just coming up with with technical fixes to what needs to happen. But there are moments when faced with a circumstance where we don't have the resources to go forward or go backward. And I believe in that moment, God is saying, I will take care of it. Your scheming won't make any difference. I'll take care of it. And for Abram, he looks at him and says, I'll take care of it. I will give you a son and not in the way you think. We know the story. We know Sarah's story. And we know that Isaac means God's laughter. And we know that that, um, that both of them kind of fell on their faces when, when they found out that, that uh, God was going to give Sarah a child in her old age and, and, uh, and all that that meant. In fact, along the way, we, we, uh, we see that story of Isaac and then there's, there's a story in, in the scripture that I just don't know what to do with. I don't know what to do with a God who would ask you to give up your child. I really don't. I've never been able to, I mean, theologians have argued this thing for centuries and millennia, and none of them are satisfactory conclusions. I don't get it. But I get the result. The result is God will provide for you. You don't have to provide for yourself. You have everything you need to do what God is asking of you today. Be faithful. Keep your promises. Mirror back to God in thankfulness what you're receiving. The future of this congregation is in God's hands, not yours. And God has equipped you and will accompany you in the journey forward Next week, we have a really important week. And it'll feel like it's just perfunctory. But we get new elders. We get some new deacons to join in. We get a new group of people that will nominate the next group of elders and deacons and whatever else we need. And we will vote for a pastor nominating committee. Let me prep you a little bit for that. I don't know any of the people that have been asked at this point. I, well, one, because they called me. And I don't know who has said yes and who has said no to what. 
And I trust that God will provide for this church the leadership needed to be faithful in the moment. God has given you everything you need to be faithful in this moment. You're equipped, you'll be accompanied. So what do you need to do? I would say this, some weeks ago we talked about the, um, the, um, the third sacrament. We have two sacraments, uh, the Lord's Supper and baptism. And I preached on this little section of scripture that talks about kicking the dust off your feet and moving on. And let me, let me suggest to you that many people have called it the third sacrament, as I said in that sermon. And I think that what the key is, is that you're not, you're not judging others. You're just saying, I've, I've been standing here in the mud and the muck too long. I need to kick it off and get back up on the road and keep, keep walking. Keep walking towards Jesus. Keep walking towards what God wants us to do. Stop grumbling and God will show you the way. God's made a promise to us. You can put it in the bank. Pray with me. God, I can stand up here and say all these things and believe these things. It's really hard to live them. They're not complicated things. Looking to you and saying, I trust you to show me the way, and you do show me the way, but taking that step towards it, oftentimes I have a failure of nerve. So God, I pray for us, for myself, that you would overcome our fear, that you would overcome our grumbling, that you would overcome our tiredness and give us energy to accomplish all you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen.